This episode of Sydney Untold depicts scenes of assault and physical abuse, which might be distressing to some individuals. Listener discretion is advised. A Hobo Hut Media production. Every city has its secrets, and Sydney is no exception. Welcome to Sydney Untold, a podcast about uncovering Sydney's hidden locations and history. From abandoned tunnels to secret gardens to even the most haunted road in the world. Let's step back in time as we uncover some of Sydney's secret past. The National Arts School, one of Sydney's most prestigious fine arts colleges today, is tucked away within Sydney's Arts and Culture District of Darlinghurst, right next to St Vincent's Hospital. But did you know that before the site was an art school, it was home to some of Sydney's criminals, including Australian poet Henry Lawson and bushrangers Captain Moonlight. It was called the Darlinghurst Jail. It's actually quite important to say that it was actually built over 50 years. That's the voice of Deborah Beck, who's an author and head archivist at the National Art School. It's been incorrectly reported by some sources that Francis Greenway, one of Sydney's colonial architects, oversaw the finding of the location of the jail. However, this in fact wasn't the case. It was, in fact, originally Mortimer Lewis. Well, Greenway was the colonial architect when they first came up with the idea of the jail and he was working under Governor Macquarie. But by November 1822, he was dismissed because he had a dispute with Macquarie. It was always thought that he'd done it, but we found some recent documentation in the State Archives from a Major Ovens, the, the original guy who pegged out the, the site, that proves that actually he didn't, he didn't do any work on it and, and he said he hadn't worked on it in the last 12 months. In 1822 until 1824, the outside walls of the jail were built, in fact, by prisoners. 30,000 tonnes of sandstone were mined by a chain gang from a nearby quarry at Barking Glen and a quarry on the corner of William and Forbes Streets, overseen by major ovens. Every block of stone was marked by the convict that cut it. Tallies were kept this way so prisoners could receive extra rations or a lighter workload. In 2001, the Department of Public Works documented the southeastern and southwestern walls. They found at least 5,760 convict marks or dargs still in existence. From that, a total of 80 recurring marks, meaning that 80 prisoners were involved in constructing the wall alone. Once completed, the wall was 6.5 metres tall and 76 centimetres thick and includes a porter's lodge on either side of the arched entrance. The internal buildings weren't designed until 1834 due to a lack of funding, with construction starting in November 1836. Mortimer Lewis was joined by Captain George Barney, who was appointed by the Commanding Royal Engineer of New South Wales. And together, in 1836, they signed the first designs for the jail. The first plan was seven two-storey cell wings that are a radial design or a panopticon, so there's a central tower in the middle, and it was four acres originally, but it changed over the years. The original panoptical design with seven two-storey cell wings was never completed. 
wings A, B, C and D, now buildings 23, 24, 16 and 20, conform to the original plans. But as it was decided that the prison would be a manufacturing prison, the other buildings were shortened and moved. A hospital was also built. And then in 1866, they needed more space, so they actually pulled down one of the walls and built an extra wing, E-wing, in a, an extra plot of land and had to build the wall out further from there. So it changed so much over the years because of the needs of the prisoners and the, and the jail population, because it was the only jail in Sydney. It was a pretty, really important site. As you could imagine, living in the Darlinghurst Jail was tough. Living conditions weren't great and guards were brutal. It was a terribly brutal place in the beginning. So there was solitary confinement, there was the lash, they go, you know, there was this corporal punishment. They, um, they solitary confinement often involved uh, straight jackets and gags, hand muffs so that they couldn't move their hands. It was, it was pretty, pretty nasty. Solitary confinement meant that they were in their cells for 23 hours a day, allowed out for an hour a day. And when they came out, they'd have a, a mask over their head, full, a full mask and they weren't allowed to speak to anybody and nobody was allowed to speak to them. Total sensory deprivation. The food was very bad, rations were poor. The people who did hard labour got a lot more rations. Particularly women and the young children who were in here got really bad rations and didn't get much food either, so they were starving most of the time. It's a pretty bad place to be. On top of all that, cells were often overcrowded. Some buildings had single cells, some had associated cells, so you'd have two to three, but sometimes if it got really, really crowded, like in the women's cell block, there were up to six sometimes, and, and depending on what was going on in the colony at the time. But during the gold rush, for instance, the women's cells were packed. There were a lot of women in here for prostitution at that time. As I mentioned, the Darlinghurst Jail was home to many famous criminals over the years, including Australian author and poet Henry Lawson, a name that anyone who drives along the Hume Highway in Sydney South would recognise. So he was here in, towards the end of the jail period, so 1905 to 1909, and he was in off and on for various crimes, not crimes really, he was just an alcoholic, uh, and he didn't pay uh, alimony to his wife either. So, um, so he didn't really commit any actual crimes, but he was in here for quite a long time, off and on, and often in the hospital. He was ill, he was in solitary confinement for a while. That was for writing poems and letters for his fellow prisoners, so he had a pretty hard time when he was here as well. While spending time locked away in solitary confinement, Lawson wrote the song of a prison, lamenting his time in his cell. Staircase and doors of iron, no sign of a plank or brick. Ceilings and floors of sandstone, and the cell walls two feet thick. Cell like a large-sized coffin, or a small-sized tomb, and white. And it strikes a chill to the backbone on the warmest summer night. For 15 hours they leave you to brood in the gloom and cold on the cheats that you should have cheated and the lies that you should have told. On the money that would release you, you lent to many a friend and the many a generous action you suffered for in the end. Grey daylight follows softly the heartless electric light that printed the bars of the window on the wall of the cell all night. The darkness has vanished hushing when there is nothing to hush. And I think of the old grey daylight on the Teamsons camp in the bush. 
The Darlinghurst Jail was also home to quite a lot of bushrangers. In fact, at least 36 they've been able to find information about. One was Captain Moonlight, an Irish-born New Zealander who came to Victoria in 1861 with his family intending to find his luck in the Otago goldfields. Leading up to his arrest, Captain Moonlight's gang was held up at Wantabadgeri Station near Wagga Wagga in 1879 after being denied work, shelter and food. They took hostages and robbed the Australian Arms Hotel of alcohol. A small group of mounted troopers arrived, but the gang captured their horses and held them down with gunfire until they retreated to get reinforcements. The gang took refuge in the farmhouse of Edward McLeod until they were surrounded by more troopers led by Sergeant Carroll. During the ensuing shootout, one of the members of the gang was killed and another member was injured. Constable Edward Webb Bowen was also killed. Captain Moonlight was disarmed by McLeod and the remaining members of the gang were either captured or injured while trying to escape. One member, Roger, managed to escape, but was later found hiding under a bed in McLeod's house. Captain Moonlight was reportedly devastated by the death of his companion, Nesbitt, and was seen weeping over his body, with newspaper reports stating Moonlight wept over him like a child, laid his head in his breast, and kissed him passionately. Captain Moonlight was accused of firing the bullet that killed Constable Webb Bowen, which he denied. However, it could never be proved that he shot Webb Bowen. Captain Moonlight was found guilty and at 8 o'clock on January 20th, 1880, he was hung at Darlinghurst Jail. Andrew George Scott was his real name and he and his accomplice Thomas Rogan were both hanged together on a, a double trapdoor of the gallows. In July 1917, the jail was closed during World War I. It was used as an internment camp. So they basically left it as it was. The Irish prisoners got the best space because they were in the old hospital, the jail hospital, and so it had great big wards. There's photographs of them in there with a piano and comfortable-looking beds and reading the newspaper and dressed in civilian clothes. So they were OK. They didn't, obviously didn't want to be locked up, but, um, but they were in there. It took quite a while for the fate of the old Darlinghurst Jail to be decided, and in 1921, it was planned that the Sydney Technical College would take over the site, teaching a wide range of technical trade courses. Sydney Technical College down in Ultimo was totally overflowing because there was a scheme for returned soldiers to retrain after the war, which happened after the Second World War. But after the First World War, uh, there was a lot of people in, in, in the Technical College training. So they needed more space and they realised, again, it was a good, a, a good place. And so they decided to make a, a campus of Sydney Technical College up here in Darlinghurst. And they called it East Sydney Technical College right from the beginning. And they moved all the practical courses up here from Sydney Tech. So they moved the art department which only occupied five buildings then. There was also plumbing, wool classing, women's handicrafts, aviation and cooking school. Quite a lot of different departments of the Technical College came up here. This was where they really did the work on the buildings. They pulled out all the cells, gave away the stone or sold it off for internal stone because it's beautiful sandstone. And then they sent it off to Sydney Uni, reused it. And they made great big studios in the cell box, and we still have those. They're really gorgeous big studios after they pulled out the, the cells. 
they also changed most of the cell wings from three storeys to two. So there's big spaces and they enlarged all the little tiny jail windows to big windows so that it became light as well. Beautiful space for a technical college. From the beginning, what we know as the National Art School was just referred to as the Art Department of the Sydney Technical College. It wasn't until 1926, during an exhibition, that the school was unofficially named the National Art School. And it wasn't until 1936 that the school's handbooks reflected the new name of the National Art School. We didn't get the whole site till 2005. It was really quite recent. And then the whole site became the National Art School. We had a great chance to take over a lot more space. So, for instance, the building we're in now, which is Building 11, it was the cooking school. We actually found that Rainer Hoff's original studio, who's a sculptor for the Anzac Memorial, was in this building, but we didn't know that till we looked at maps. And we found this amazing studio downstairs here, and it's now called the Rainer Hoff Project Space. So we've got four galleries pretty well on site, two levels of the National Art School Gallery, the Drawing Gallery and the Rainer Hoff Studio Space. The Cell Block Theatre, which was well known as an avant-garde theatre in the 1960s and 70s in Sydney, it was run by the Technical College and we now run it ourselves for graduations and it's just used extensively now. Despite all the rich history and culture associated with the National Art School and the Darlinghurst Jail, the site has only just been recognised and protected by the State Heritage Registry in 2020. I think it should be on the national, of course, but uh, we'll start with the state, that's fine. It was really with the help of the state arts minister at the time, uh, Don Harwin. He also gave us funding and a 45-year lease. So he was very supportive of us and he really pushed to get us on the state heritage register. That's what's really helped us get through and given us the security that we've never actually had. On the next episode of Sydney Untold, we shift our attention to just outside the boundaries of the National Art School to what's called the Darlinghurst Wall, a once-used prostitution beat from the 1960s for the LGBT community, and speak with historian Gary Wotherspoon. The wall for gay men has a real very special place because of its proximity initially to Green Park, which was a place where men would go and find Mr Wright for the night. In the camp world, we couldn't meet people like the straight ones could at your church socials or your sporting clubs or things like that. And so from the 60s, 70s and into the early 80s, the wall was a wonderful place to go cruising. Find out more about the Darlinghurst Wall and Green Park on the next episode of Sydney Untold. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sydney Untold. I hope you've enjoyed learning about the history of the Darlinghurst Jail and the National Art School. This episode of Sydney Untold was hosted, written, produced and edited by Harry Hughes. And thank you to our associate producer, Adam Hughes, Deborah Beck from the National Art School for her interview and agreeing to appear on the podcast. And thank you to Michael Van Leeuwen for additional voiceovers. Hobart Hut Media would like to recognise the Gadigal people past and present, the location of which this episode was located. Links to more information about the Darlinghurst Jail and the National Art School are available in the show notes below. 